back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is great to be back with you again this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the rolling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined this morning by my friend and our pastor and my co-host, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you? I'm great, Tim. It's a beautiful, sparkling February morning here in Pittman, New Jersey. It is. The sun is out, which is nice. We haven't had a lot of sun recently. Um, what what better time or place to, to have a deeper cut recording? So I agree. <laughs> we we have to we have to acknowledge that we're missing a friend today, mm. Tim. Hopefully, mm. I won't choke up and start crying. But um, I shared with the brothers last week. We had to put our dog Rocky down. He was our unofficial show mascot. Yeah, our silent third co-host. So he will be, uh, he'll be missed. Yep. And I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a, it's a tender thing. It's a, it's a strange feeling, but he's been part of our lives for 13 years and in the last year has been declining. We didn't realize how quickly he was declining and, um, through some circumstances we had to take him to the vet and the vet said it was time. Mm. So we, we felt, uh, there's a little softening of the difficult decision mm-hmm. when we had a confirmation from the doctor. But so Rocky will be missed. It's just you and me, buddy. Mm. We'll do our best to <laughs> to, to carry <laughs> on. He, he he was he was kind of your buddy too, because you would you would bring him surreptitious treats every uh, time. That, that is that is true. Like he smelled you walking up the driveway. I think. I uh, I know how to make friends <laughs> with, with dogs. <laughs> I have two myself, so uh, yeah, I, I try to um, uh, yeah get on get on get on the uh, the dog's good side if I can. So yeah, we were we were buds, um, not the same as a dog and his master. Though. No, so but he again, yeah, he'll be missed, but. Um, Life, life goes on. Mm. If if there was any doubt, we're empty nesters now. We're truly empty nesters. Mm. Not tied down. That true. That true. Mm. Well, um, uh, where where to begin, Phil? We, we're going through First John. As a reminder, it's been a couple weeks since our last recording. We had um, a couple of of uh, breaks in between for various reasons and uh we have we've picked back up in first john we're starting in chapter two uh and, and your your sermon from our pulpit this week was on the first two verses of chapter two a uh, quick note uh, and a thank you to to reverend jonathan hatt who preached in your absence last week did an excellent job i thought so um and you know you weren't around and so we didn't we didn't record in an episode, but uh, I would commend his sermon to you, listener, if you have not heard that, to go back and, and give that a listen. It was an excellent sermon, and um, you've referenced it a couple times in, in your sermon, actually, as well, so it would be beneficial for you to have heard that, and then go listen to Phil's sermon from this week, and then come back and, and pick up here. Um, but as we continue in First John chapter 2, um, we, we always like to or I like to start off these conversations with just a, a peek into some of the homiletical approach. That is the, 
the practice of preaching in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and uh, one of the things that I heard from a couple of people in our congregation yesterday, Phil, after your sermon, was you had shared, uh, not in detail, but shared that you were going through a struggle um, over the weekend and, and called another pastor in our in our presbytery and, and got some encouragement. Um, and I don't want to say... Pe- I don't want to overstate it and say people were taken aback or something, but people were certainly encouraged by you mm. sharing something like that from the pulpit. Um, so what, what is your, t- I mean, obviously you're, you're for it cause you've done it and it's not the first time you've done it, but what's your take on that? Cause you're not there to just pour out your soul every week either, True. you know? So where's That's the balance and, and why is that important in your opinion? <clears throat> So I'll start by saying preaching is the proclamation of the gospel on behalf of the king, who is Jesus. Mm. And so everything is subservient to that goal. And uh, the way that the preacher dresses, the way that he uses his arms, facial expressions. I mean, the, the smallest things to the biggest things to the, to the actual points that are, that are said are, are serving that ser- serving the Lord. Um, in particular, not just serving the Lord isn't in terms of honoring Jesus, but we believe that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. That's from the th- that's in all three forms of unity on the continental reform side. And it certainly is in our shorter catechism when it talks about, um, the means of grace, the word sacrament and prayer, uh, the reading of the word. And then the phrase in the shorter is, but especially the preaching of the word is a means of grace. So if it's a means of grace, it is Jesus speaking to his church. And so Um, John the Baptist prayer is particularly appropriate for any preacher. Uh, He must increase and I must decrease. I think I've heard a a kind of an anecdote that on Spurgeon's uh, pulpit was a a bronze plaque that said, we would see Jesus. And, you know, if you read his sermons, he was, he was faithful in that regard. Um, He, he couldn't, he wouldn't allow himself to talk about anything but Christ. So that's one of his great strengths as a preacher. So any personal illustrations run the risk, Tim, of, of taking people's attention off of the king mm-hmm. and onto his messenger, which would be counterproductive. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm just kind of framing the question a little bit. On maybe in terms of the challenge of these sorts of anecdotes. Yeah, that's a good. Um, that's a good question, and it's a hard. It's a hard one, because even if it's not a, a, a confession of sorts or an anecdote of vulnerability, but just an, any other anecdote, you run that same mm-hmm. that same risk. Um, even if it's not of your own life, I mean of of really mm-hmm. anything. Then again, um, we are human beings, 
And, and I am not Jesus. That's right. <laughs> In case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> I thought you looked different. Nope. Yeah. So, so the illust- to your two, to, to our two points here, mm-hmm. we are human beings and the preacher isn't Jesus. I think that's where you insert personal illustrations and personal anecdotes and even personal testimonials mm-hmm. like I gave is it, it reminds people that they are listening to a sinner because we do have a temptation because we know in our hearts that this person isn't Jesus. And we know obviously that we're humans and that the preacher is a human. Sometimes there can be a, a cognitive dissonance that, that gets like a, a an interference wave mm-hmm. that I know that guy's just a regular guy. So, you know, where does he get off? And that may be sin on the hearer's part. Mm-hmm. It may be actually sin on the preacher's part. Like the preacher may be uh, exuding that sort of uh, hubris mm-hmm. um, without meaning to, or, you know, there's any number of reasons. And so I think s- modest, targeted, um, you know, kind of almost stepping to the side of the pulpit, if you can imagine that bodily posture. Mm-hmm. Something interesting happened to me this week. Mm. Uh, or I, in my case, I, I struggle with some things this week. Mm. Um, two preachers, this is a slightly different topic, but two preachers widely different in style and context from Jay Adams to Tim Keller, both advocated and challenged preachers to use the second person plural, you. And you know this because I've worked with you on preparing some sermons before. Mm-hmm. It's very tempting to make everything we and me. Yeah. And so I, I take that to be that these two, again, very different preachers, different styles, different theological emphases, both Reformed Presbyterian guys, um, they understood the importance of preaching to people in the voice of Christ and not making everything just sort of sharing. That's good. That's, that's, I think that's helpful to me um, as a, a ruling elder that, you know, occasionally gets to exhort from the pulpit mm-hmm. um, and teach, even if it's not preaching. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's good to understand not just what we're hearing, but that it, you know, it is Phil Henry up there preaching a sermon that we believe is spirit led and, um, but it's, it's still you, you know, it's not your Christ is using you, but it's not his, it's not special revelation to you. Right. You know, you're right. not speaking, putting words in Jesus's mouth. They're your words. Right. This is not and, revelation chapter 23. Right. Right. So, and, and the fact that 
well, that very fact and the acknowledgement of, of that and seeing your efforts into the practice of preaching and preaching well and not just going up there and doing a TED Talk for entertainment purposes or not going up there with a PhD paper that no one can understand what you're saying, you know, but, but trying to, to follow the Spirit's leading and in, in shepherding our church through mm-hmm. the means of grace of the ministry of the word, then any, anyway, um, it's, it's very helpful. And I, I've said this to you probably almost every week, but I'm, I'm very thankful for you, Phil, and, and your efforts Amen. that you put in, not just on Saturday, but Friday and Thursday and Wednesday and mm-hmm. Tuesday and even on Mondays when we're, when we're doing this, because I hope that these conversations are, are helpful for future sermons as well. Yeah. I mean, you're it, not going to re-preach First John 2, 1 through 2, but, you know. Yeah, they are. There's one more thought. Um, as you were talking, I was going through my mind. I have probably a half a dozen verses in the Bible that are my touch, touchstones. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word. Um, maybe it's not, it's not a waypoint. Maybe it's... Um, if it's the four corners of the foundation of a building, kind of my four foundational Bible verses that give me the concept to kind of box in my mm-hmm. maybe parameters. Um, one is Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power might be seen to be from God and not from ourselves. Mm. Um so a personal illustration of vulnerability, which uh, in a limited way, which I gave on Sunday, is me saying in my own way, in my own words, I am an earthen vessel and whatever you're hearing is not me, it's from God. If it's good, it's from God. And so it's, it serves to remove any dissonance that might be from a sinner's heart that might be interfering from them listening to what God actually has to say to them mm. by pausing and talking about myself for a moment. Um, another touchstone verse for me is, um, let your progress be evident to all. The Lord is near, which is in one of the Timothy's. I have sometimes described preaching as a very public, like a billboard or a canvas, a public, a slow motion painting. And, you know, as Presbyterians, we believe in long-term ministries. And over time, I want you to be able to see that I myself am growing. I'm, I'm a case study. Uh, some people complain that pastors live in fishbowls and it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, we happen to live on a corner and somebody that I know that goes to another church before I had the fence up in the backyard said, Oh, I love driving by and seeing what you're doing in the backyard. (laughs) We're getting a fence, buddy. We're putting up a fence. Um, so, but you know, particularly the flock that has called me and the, and the elders that serve with me need to be able to, to see, that I'm growing in grace. Oh. That's a command. Mm. So I think in that sense, there's a command to be personally revealing, again, in an appropriate way from the pulpit. 
Another touch-tone verse for preaching is, um, well, I think that's probably good good for your specific question. I have a few more, but I can save them for another time. Lord willing, we'll have more episodes and opportunity to talk about it. Thanks for for sharing that. It it kind of reminded me in a way, and and in 1 John, with John saying, I'm writing these things to you for, you know, we talked about yeah, this he, a little bit earlier. He but. uses the first person singular at, at points in the letter that are especially uh, poignant and touching or gripping. So I think it, he's kind of doing that It's in almost a way. like a, not particularly a step aside in the same exact way, but let me call your attention to something. Right. It's it's to me talking resolve, to you. Resolve is, the dissonance in a way. Right. Right. That's right. So it's a good good connection. Yeah. See, I'm trying to get better as a host and and easing us into other parts of the conversation. <laughs> I just uh, played my hand though, or showed my hand, because um, John John actually does that in in this text that we have mm-hmm. in your sermon, and that wasn't the brunt of of your message uh, by any means, but. You know, he says, um, well, let me just read it. Yeah, so read it, and let's see if we can, because um, it does link two distinct sections mm-hmm. of John. So John, First uh, John 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that's the first two verses. So my little children, I'm writing these things to you. So these things could refer to the whole letter. Mm-hmm. I think there are 10 or 11. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure on the count, but uh, sort of, writing statements in first John. It's it's a feature of the letter. And we hear, you know, at least half a dozen to a dozen times in First John. If if somebody's reading, that would be one to underline with like your red pencil because mm-hmm. it's it's helpful to kind of see it graphically or vividly. But the purpose the purpose of the letter is contained in these kinds of statements. I am writing these things to you. But what things is he pointing out? Is he talking about all five chapters, the entire letter? Right. I, I'm with uh, one commentator that said, I think these things are pointing back to verses 6 through 10. Is it just in between those statements? That that, so the, la- the first one is in verse 4. We are writing these things... Which so you, is, is part so of the... So that our joy may be complete. And I take that to be... Um, an affective purpose, not necessarily a theological purpose. So it's, it, it's theology contained in an emotional kind of fatherly expression. Mm. And it's, it's a theology by way of personal invitation almost. And we talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit. The mm-hmm. theology is, I think, is fellowship with God or communion with God and his people. That's the letter of First John, and because that first th- graphe statement, right? I am writing these things to you. Statement is in the prologue. 
I think we can rightly see it as arcing over all five gotcha. chapters because gotcha. the second one comes in a kind of an interruption of his first major argument, which is three if statements on the negative mm-hmm. and three if statements kind of on the other hand, if statements in the positive. And it interrupts and comes between the third negative if and the third, on the other hand, positive if. So um, did that make sense? It's yeah, a little so confusing. In one, six, if we say we have fellowship with him. That's a, that's a negative. Um, right. Uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have that's fellowship. That's the positive. Um, so that's negative and positive one. And then that's six and seven. And then an eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's and a negative. not in us. And nine, if we confess our sins, that's he the is positive. faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in ten, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's the negative. My so, little children. So you're expecting First John 2, 2. Re- read First John 2, 2. Um, it's actually 1B, I think, right? But if anyone does okay, sin, so, we have an So advocate. 1A, and you use the little letters to divide the verses, right. and it's kind of a nerdy thing to do, but, <laughs> you know, 1 John 2, 1A. Right. Now, you're, now you know you're a real, a real theologian. <laughs> you can put letters after the By numbers. By the way, th- those letters are not in the, the text anywhere. Yeah, neither are the numbers, Tim. Well, I mean, in the even in the <laughs> even in the Bible translation. That's right. That's, what I'm saying. that's right. Um, but yeah, so it's one a. My little children, I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. So you, you, it's a, it's a strange linking phrase mm-hmm. that definitely explains uh, verse ten at least verse 10 of chapter 1. It definitely right. explains 1B and 2.2 two of chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 2. But I think it throws sheds light backwards all the way to verse 6 because each one of the first two and, uh, negative ifs and their positive counterpart and the third negative if are if, if I can put it this way, broadly focused on the free forgiveness and the reality of sin in our lives and the danger of denying sin. Mm. So whether it's a temptation that the church had or what's what the, what the commentators call the secessionists in 217, they went out from us because they're not of us. Mm. So we're going to, we're going to be hearing more about the secessionists in coming weeks, but Probably not from the pulpit with that name, mm-hmm. but the bad guys, we'll just call them the bad guys here. People were causing problems in the church. They left the church, seceded, uh, hence they're called secessionists. So whether, uh, and Jonathan Hatt touched on this a little bit in his message. So whether these are thoughts that the church had or they're theoretical thoughts that Pastor John the Apostle wanted to warn them about or thoughts that the enemies of Christ had that have since left the church, it's not clear. But something about denying sin, the reality of sin, 
mm. was on his mind in the first two and then even in the third. But then it's almost like he says, well, wait a minute. I don't want to get, give you the wrong impression here. Right. This is like, this is an open season for sinning. Come on, guys. That's right. But neither do I want that to be such a strong warning that you forget that Jesus is the advocate and propitiation for our sins. Mm. So he immediately returns to the flow of the argument by giving the positive if. Right. Uh, I don't want to, you know, careful not to read into the text at all, but, you know, the second half of verse one, but if anyone does sin, it's not, but when you do sin. No, you're right. But if anyone does, and it's, 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 it's an, an if, it's an if, but it's a, it's like, he knows the, it's like, yeah, of course you're, you're going to sin. You're, you're, but, but he doesn't like not, shine he doesn't, spotlight. He doesn't it. even say it that strongly though, right. even though I think we can explain it that way. But the wisdom of the Holy Spirit didn't say, of course you're going to sin. No, exactly. Which would have been too much. Right. But neither does he say, um, you know, um, you must never sin, which would be too much on the other side. It's it just, he threads the needle. But if anyone does sin, you know. So he leaves us to sort of, and literally entire denominations have been born around the interpretation of that phrase. But if anyone does sin, and we might even say an entire denominations have been formed on the interpretation of the if. Yeah. Now, if you're a skeptic or an atheist who's listening, <laughs> you have plenty of ammo here to say, see, that's why I'm not a Christian. <laughs> that's proof. You guys are crazy. It just seems to me like such a pastoral thing. You're not only fighting about words, you're fighting over two-letter <laughs> words. Hey, every word is important here. Um, but it, it just seems so... Because you are left to to make that one connection and that confession really yourself. Instead mm-hmm. of John pointing his finger at you going, but when you do sin, or if you do sin, but if anyone were to sin. Right, it's, it's generic. Yeah. And it's almost like he knows that he's leaving it out there and he hopes that you're going to... But what's personal is he doesn't want you to sin. My little children. Right. That's personal. Right. I'm writing these things to to you so that you may not sin. Right. But if anyone does sin. But (laughs) the the, the may not sin is interesting, too, because it's, um, I believe it's it's called the subjunctive case, which is kind of hypothetical, theoretical, future. This is the deeper cut. Yeah, Let me this remind is, this is the, the, the deeper the cut. Listeners. <laughs> so he says, "Yeah, might not sin. It's a, it's a, it's a subjunctive. So it, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a Greek scholar, but the subjunctive when it's used is a way of describing something that potentially could happen." but hasn't happened yet. Hmm. So might not sin, may not sin. So there's a future quality to it. 
Right. All, all subjunctive has kind of a future quality to it. Sometimes the future tense can substitute for the subjunctive. There's a, there's a certainty about it, but so he's, he, he, and it's an, it's in the negative. So it's a negative. He's like, as you plan your life, make no room for sin. Hmm. That's why I'm writing these things to you. Hmm. As you chart your course today, as you look at your schedule this week, as you think about your new year's resolutions, don't sin under no circumstances should you uh, envision a, 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 a pathway of success through sin that completely annihilates everything I'm saying to you. Hmm. Remember that joy that I want to be complete? There will be no joy if you plan on sinning. But if it happens... Right. And it's almost... Now I'm making the connection in my head. Then he says, but if that happens, and he gives us this great hope and defense in a way, but that would then sink back to verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. That, that's what allows us to walk in the light where there is no darkness at all. Because if we sin, then there is darkness. That's, that's right. So that's the... That's right. That's the condition, if you will. That's not of our own doing, but it's the condition that allows us. I'm working this out in the, real the, time. The, here, the hope, but... you mean the hope of Christ allows right. us to return to the light. Right. Yeah, so he makes it really clear that sin robs us of the light and the life of God, but not permanently because of Christ. Mm. There's a way back to the light and the life of God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Because hmm. I'm going to do one of these smooth transitions again. Um, it, we're talking about a holy God who is right in having wrath um, towards sin. So if that's true and we are sinners, then, then we have no hope. In another, like, there's literally nothing that we can do at that point to get back into the light. There is, even if there's a, a an iota of darkness mm-hmm. in us, that is too much darkness to be in the light hmm. of a holy God. So the only way for us to walk in the light, as He is in the light, is through Christ, because He is our advocate hmm. and our propitiation. So. Again, I'm working this out real time. No, in my it's, he- in my it's head. good, and and you're you know you're preaching to me now, and I'm I'm, as the saying goes, strangely warmed in hearing your gospel, working out the gospel. <laughs> I mean, that's this is this is the gospel. I just wish that he would go in order, John. I say that with a, a big smirk on my face, but this is I've confessed this on this podcast before. I really struggle with John's writings because my brain does not work the same way that John's brain works. No, no one does. And uh, no, no one can kind of figure out why he <laughs> so, starts where he does and then he comes back Yeah, with kind of no notice. And then he says the same thing, but not quite in the same way. Yeah. And, but it's yeah. also good. Yeah. For, for people who like to outline, 
First John is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you need one of those uh, apps that has the infinite page in all directions. And oh, the X and yeah, y axis my, so my daughter is really strong at at the kind of mind mapping. We need to turn First John over to her and see what she comes up yeah, with. Yeah, I can't do it. My brain does not. Yeah. I'd like to. I've tried. And it always ends up with a bulleted outline anyway. So yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it, 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 I guess that's why it's it's a it's a challenge for me, and I'm I'm constantly trying to work it out, and kind of sync it back and, and make my brain fit, um, in a way or at least translate. So what's my going on. my the outline I'm working with, and I'll repeat this because I mentioned it just a couple minutes ago, is that shared life with God and with God's people, i.e., koinonia, mm-hmm. fellowship, is the theme of the book, and every instruction point or challenge or test or or warning is tied to that in some way like spokes coming off of a hub that's how mm. i'm outlining it in my mind mm. and it is interesting that this is the first instruction point and warning and challenge that he picks so I think there's a kind of priority to it. Hmm. So y- your sermon really centered and vo- revolved around t- basically two words in the text. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving people the, the secret the secret sauce, how the sauce is made. Okay. Because you had four points in your, in your sermon. Yeah. But it was really kind of a... I'm going to say the second one is a positive and negative aspect. Mm -hmm. The first one was kind of God word and Mm -hmm. and human word, if you will. But there were two two points on one word each. Right. So advocate or paraclete in the Greek, right? Mm -hmm. And then propitiation, or I I forget. Which is halasmos. Halasmos. Think hilarious. (laughs) Right. Right. Um. So I mean a whole a whole sermon on on, on two words, um, but those words carry so much. Like you could have preached ten sermons on those on those two words. It, Phil, it, it is true. I think it is true. Well, and ending with the hymns was my way, and and referring because our worship leader does such a good job in choosing the songs. I could have just used the songs that he picked as my ending references, and it would have worked just as well. But ending with the hymns as I did, four hymns that sort of captures each one of the nuances of these two words, uh, the two nuances that I was highlighting, because there's other nuances there, but shows how all-pervasive, maybe thoroughly Christian, or how much everything that's Christian is tied to these two ideas. Hmm. So how, how are those two, if they are tied to one another? Do you think that there's a... I think so. Um, re- read the text again. Sure. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
So obviously verse two follows verse one in order, but I see verse two not as of secondary importance, but of primary importance. So as often the case in the Bible, the thing that follows is foundational for the first thing that's said. Mm. So let's work this through. The paraclete, which is comforter, intercessor, advocate. I, I focused on defender. defender yeah. uh, it also means encourager or rebuker, admonisher. To, to, to paracletize someone is also to admonish them. Hmm. Let's pick the comfort concept. Um, was Jesus a paraclete to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well? He admonished her mm-hmm. in a very creative way, mm-hmm. but also provided a great deal of comfort, comfort yeah. and instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and he defended her too because the boys came back and they're like, Why are you talking to that right. girl? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what about the, the woman caught in adultery and the, that? questionable uh, inclusion in John chapter 8, 1 through 11, um, neither do I accuse you. Hmm. Or the woman who was bleeding for 12 years and just wanted to touch the hem of his robe. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I mean, his entire earthly ministry was one of comfort and encouragement for the weak, the wounded, the sin, the, the, the sinner, uh, the tax collector. Hmm. How about this for encouragement? Zacchaeus, come on down. <laughs> We're having lunch today. Yep. That's it. so encouraging. Mm. He just wanted to get a glimpse, so he climbs the sycamore tree, and Jesus knows that he's up there, this little guy, yeah. and calls him down, and, they, and then he's, he's beside himself with enthusiasm. Mm. So his entire earthly ministry was one of comfort. But where is the comfort happening in our text The preposition with. We have an advocate. With with the Father. It's in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. how did he get there? Oh, I see. I see where you're going. See where I'm going? Yeah. So so finish the thought. Yeah, he 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 gets there by being the propitiation for our sins. That's right. So Hebrews says Mm. Jesus was made perfect through suffering, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean he lacked anything in terms of moral development. I mean, he clearly had to grow from being a baby into a boy of 12, and then as a boy of 12 into a young man and ultimately to a a 30-year-old rabbi. So he had to have physical development, but he also had to undergo all the miseries of this life, according to the catechism. So he was not ready to be a savior. He was not a perfect savior Mm. until he died on the cross. And even then he wasn't a perfect savior until what? He rises from the dead. And even then he wasn't a perfect savior until he ascends Mm. to heaven Mm -hmm. and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. In some ways, he won't be a perfect savior until he returns. 
the full parousia, mm. the full manifestation, the full apocalypse, the unveiling of his glory. So, but in John's world, he's become a paraclete because he was a halasmos, mm-hmm. a propitiator. If he hadn't halasmod our sins and God, and that's the two senses, cleansed our sins and, and brought pleasure to God. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't done that, then he would not, he, he would be a worthless that's intercessor. Right. And the ESV leaves out the and, and, and I think they're, they're okay doing this, but the first word in Greek in verse two is and, and I think in the ESV it doesn't have it. No, it's just as he is. So the and, which is chi, can be explanatory, it can be adversative, or kind of causative. Mm -hmm. So the explanatory would be that is. It's saying the same thing, two things in parallel. Adversative would be but. Mm -hmm. But he's the propitiation. And that doesn't make sense because propitiation and intercession are not at odds with each other. I think it's a causative. I think the reason, because he is Interesting. a propitiation for our sins. So if we were to kind of hyper-translate mm-hmm. or maybe over-translate, we would include the Kai and give it a sense of uh, the, the foundation of his intercession is his propitiation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Bible study. That was the deeper cut, Tim. We were we were That's we great. were going hardcore there. Let the let the listener know we did not plan that. No, but <laughs> the listeners have all stopped listening at this point <laughs> when they heard about explanatory guys. They're like, "I'm out." That is a that's so helpful, um, and and amazing too, at the same time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So um, that, to me, also puts the concentration on uh, propitiation in some ways, or at least we've got to make sure we understand that word, the halasmos idea, uh, which ESV says propitiate, but I mentioned in the sermon that there are so many different ways to translate it. Right. Um, Well, that is also the the idea of propitiation or you know atoning sacrifice or atonement atoning sacrifice expiation um, remedy for defilement sacrifice for sin and then i read the long Mm -hmm. uh new living uh uh, 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 no it's the mess um sorry it's ken taylor's uh the living bible okay so it's the good one But that, that that concept is in keeping with what we just heard at the end of chapter one, right? In terms of um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. How, how can that happen? That's not because of True. the paraclete. True. It's his shed blood. Right. So propitiation further explains the blood concept that came up in verse 7 and verse 9. So he mentions blood, but by 
stipulating right. that the shedding of the blood is an atonement, is an expiatory cleansing and a propitiating, pleasing action. We have sort of insert the entire book of Leviticus, <laughs> some of Genesis, yeah. definitely Exodus, uh, numbers, and, you know, all the wisdom literature, <laughs> the prophets. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, just sort of, it's, um, it's a brilliant, concise, massive statement of truth mm. that just, what, what we've, we've seen that John assumes we know things and doesn't bother to explain them so much. <laughs> this is a case in point. Yeah. You, you better know your Old Testament when you hit 1 John 2.2. 2. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, and and one talking about the, the paraclete, because you, like you brought up, I thought it was a great reference back to David, you know, and Jesus is like the David who's who's defending us mm-hmm. against yep. our Goliath, or Goliaths. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, both of the words have just massive Old Testament uh, rich kind of they're 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 rooted in the rich soil of the old testament in both cases. So, you know, my kind of the the risk the risk for me here Phil is nerding out and getting all wrapped up in the bible study on these things and then failing to apply that right. to my life. And, and right. I thought you did a, a really great job of um, giving us some some really good fully stocked doggy bags to take home with us for the application. <laughs> um, Don't leave them on the table with the tip like I no, always no, do. You, you got to bring it home with you. you re- eat that meal for a couple days later. Right. Um, but uh, you had you had mentioned, you know, do we pray for one intercessory prayer? For one another, hmm. praying for you as our pastor, praying mm-hmm. for one another, um, reading our Bibles, um, th- things of this nature. So maybe we could, in our, the time we have left, unless there was other theological considerations, um, maybe we can get into a couple of those things just briefly and encourage those who are listening, particularly those in our church who are mm-hmm. listening as into ways that we can take what you've preached and what we've heard, what God has given to us through his word and mm-hmm. you know, apply it for not just our own good, but ultimately for his glory in our lives and the growth of his church. So, you know, you pointed out the prayer piece. I thought that was great. A couple of people came up to me afterward and, and mentioned that, um, that they appreciated that kind of challenge, if mm-hmm. you will, to be praying. In my, because I use the internet for sermon preparation. I don't just use books. Um, but in my searching, somehow I came across an intercessory prayer guide for some Presbyterian church in the South. Hmm. It's like 25 pages long. And I thought, our guys need this. I even thought about printing it out and quote unquote forcing the 
elders and deacons to come at five o'clock tomorrow to the church house for a 90-minute intercessory prayer session for our congregational meeting. <laughs> I thought, well, I don't want them to fire me at the congregational meeting. There's no quicker path to getting fired than calling for a prayer meeting before a congregational <laughs> meeting. All jokes aside, I mean, I mean, I, I just, I wish that were true. Hmm. I, you know, I wish that, that, that that were happening tomorrow. Um, and, you know, as the case may be, maybe there's a way we can do it next week or after the meeting or, you know, later on this week or maybe for just 30 minutes. So there may be some way that we can apply that. But that's that's one thought. I, and, and definitely, regardless of what we do tomorrow, Tim, that prayer guide uh, for one of our, you know, we kind of say hold Tuesday open. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely kind of plotting to call a session meeting to learn about intercessory prayer, not your typical PCA elders meeting. Mm. Uh, you know, you have to state the purpose for a called meeting, <laughs> and then you have to. Well, have you just a, did. A majority of elders have to agree. Mm. All right, maybe I just need one. So we're not a very big board. No, so. I, I I can twist somebody's arm and say, <laughs> "You're going to agree to this called meeting." Well, you you have my uh, my agreement. All right. So you're, well, you're one down. We're we're B, the BCO control tower has said we're clear for takeoff. <laughs> Do I have your agreement for five o'clock tonight? <laughs> tomorrow night, you mean? I mean tomorrow night. Let me run that by my wife first. Oh, okay. So now it's we really time. see. Now you're now you're encroaching upon family. Worship. I know. I know. It's sacred space. I would be more than, more than willing. I think it'd be great for our church. Um, well, yeah, but especially if we didn't tell anybody. Yeah. You know, well, we I just... don't. I don't. Rec- I don't put these out until later in the week, so no okay. one would know. In no advance. one would know. That's yeah, true. They would know. But so no one knows that the elders and deacons are there praying for them. Mm. Mm. That's that's beautiful. It's a... And so, but to to the to your point. It's because our union with Christ is so permanent, so strong, so certain, so real, so rich, and through that union flows the very life of the Trinity into our lives that we can pray with confidence, say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be dropped into the sea. And that's why Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, it will be granted to you. That's the, the gist of it, kind mm-hmm. of First John's version of that gospel story is... It's through our union and communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that we can intercede for one another. Maybe I could have done a better job at making clear in the sermon that it isn't just we're copying his intercession. We're actually, it's through his intercession that we are interceding. And Mm -hmm. so it involves a great deal of listening and quieting our hearts to make sure that what we're praying is indeed in accordance with the will of God. Mm. You know, it's the heart of Christ. In other words, we're not just praying that, you know, my kids would obey me and then I'm a jerk. Right. You know, we want the whole, the whole Christ to, to shape our whole prayer. So I think that's that's an important outcome. Yeah. 
Another takeaway that didn't make the message is I mentioned that the defense of Christ should cause us to have thicker skins mm-hmm. and not be so um, defensive. Since he's defending us, we don't need to defend ourselves so much. Mm. Yep. As we were talking about the show before we hit record, um, God impressed upon me the importance of the Psalms. Kind of, there's a there's a boisterous, rigorous confidence that can't help but rub off on a person who constantly reads and or sings the Psalms. And if you can't pray it because it's not true of you, uh, you can pray it because it's true of me. And if it's not true of either one of us, it certainly is true of Christ. And he's the head of the church. This is our songbook, our prayer book, our poetry book mm-hmm. that we need to more regularly utilize in sloughing off or throwing off the 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 malaise that comes over us, kind of the spiritual malaise that comes over us, the doldrums and the weakness that we succumb that, that I that I fall prey to so often. I was thinking particularly of Psalm 26. If you, there. if you have that, just <laughs> read a couple of those verses, like the first four verses or so. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes. And I walk in your faithfulness. So I venture to say that very few of our flock have prayed this prayer recently. And if they've read it in the course of their Bible reading, they're not, they're maybe glossing over it because it certainly doesn't describe me very well. (laughs) And you'd probably say the same thing. But is my relationship with God in Christ strong enough that I can say, because it's true of my Savior, the, the truthfulness of this poem accrues to me. Hmm. And that I can walk with a kind of swagger, peacock style, you know, fanning my feathers, that says, I have a champion. You're looking, you know, not to get all Pentecostal, you're looking at a champion. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's like how people act, acted after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. There you go. Yeah, yeah, we are all we're, that. We're, we're the, yeah. We were the Super Bowl. Yeah, we champions, were the so. champs. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. And le- lest we forget, like Psalm 26 was attributed to David. And Who... I don't have to go any further than that, you know. Um, And David, if David could write it... He he had a sense of his anointing, didn't he? Somehow. And and maybe he didn't. I mean, maybe it was just kind of a disembodied spirit moment where he penned this prayer. But he had a sense of his office, I think. I think he did. Yeah. Um, But you see that in, in... I think all throughout the Psalms that, that he's, he's written or are attributed to him that there's a, there's a 
I don't know. I mean, it's it's God working through his servant, you know, right. in a way, but we so, see that often. So my point being is that if David wrote that, and, and if you know the life of David, you know that David was not far from... He was far, far, far from perfect. Yes, he was. Um, and, and yet he... I mean, dare I say, is this, is this, you've been saying kind of a boldness, I think you might say boisterousness. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I might say that in a way, I, I know what you're saying, you know, in terms of a confidence. Mm -hmm. I think of meekness, you know, in your definition of meekness. I think that's maybe a better word. Because it's a, it's a steely confidence. Right. Like I, it doesn't I, I need have an to brag. That, that, yeah, it doesn't need to brag. You're right. But I, I'm I'm so firm in knowing that nothing can touch me. That I don't have to bend. Like I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to. In in, in an argument with your wife or your kids, and that's to me where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Even yesterday, as I was kind of working through, it's like why? Why did I just preach that? And I think I just interrupted my wife. <laughs> With good content, bad timing. Hmm. And that's not, that's me insisting on my way and not resting in the intercessory, defending, purifying, God-pleasing work of Christ. Hmm. So that took me about four hours, you know, to, to step into that uh, all-too-common pitfall. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe one more to, to wrap up, uh, application, Tim, um, just a shout out to our incredible worship team and a fine worship leader of Mercy Hill who recently did a worship workshop mm -hmm. and I wasn't there, but I read some of his materials and he and I have talked about it enough to know that it's very important to our worship leader, to Jeremiah, that the the language of our singing is biblical mm -hmm. and theologically uh, accurate. So, um, again, props to him for doing such a great job in selecting the songs for us on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But to, to my point, I ended with a selection of four other hymns mm -hmm. that showed the theology of Jesus's advocacy and propitiation and how, you know, how fundamental it is to everything that we sing about. So I think I have a hymn right here that I was going to, speaking of which, maybe. And it might be in your book. I think it's in yours. In the book? Yeah. Well, you're, you're pulling that up. Um, a plug for, for singing, just real quick aside, singing and family worship. Because um, you mentioned hymns. I would venture to guess most everyone in our church probably knew the, the hymns that you mm -hmm. mentioned. You also mentioned a couple of times in your sermon different parts of the Shorter Catechism. Mm -hmm. And I've been blessed by your 
teaching in school of discipleship and whatnot to have, I was never catechized as a, as a child. So I've learned them as an adult mm -hmm. and my head went to them as fast as your mouth read them from the manuscript. That's good. Um, That's and good. And so just really, I mean, we're just created, God has created us in a way that music and poem and, and things like a catechism stick in our brain. And even if it's not something we're thinking about constantly, it's, they're real, like, it's there just, to inform us. Yeah, yeah. So, so very helpful. This is from God's Words, Studies of Key Bible Themes by J.I. Packer. Beautiful little book, old book. It's got a 1981 publishing date. And this is his chapter on reconciliation. And he says, uh, reconciliation means the ending of the enmity and the making of peace and friendship between persons previously opposed. God and men were at enmity with each other by reasons of men's sins, but God has acted in Christ to reconcile sinners to himself through the cross. And then he quotes this song, which we have sung in our, in our fellowship, and I would love us to continue singing it. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head, our load was laid on thee. Thou sootst in the sinner's stead, didst bear it all, bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed, now there's no load for me. Death and the curse were in our cup, O Christ, t'was full for thee. But thou hast drained the last dark drop, tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up, now blessings draft for me. Jehovah lifted up his rod, O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast sore stricken of thy God, there's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed, thy bruising healeth me. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died, and I have died in thee. Thou art risen, my bands are all untied, and now thou livest in me. When purified, made white and tried, thy glory then for me. Amen. That's the good news. Good news indeed. Even with the hard to understand language. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even with the old these and thous. Yes. That's right. But it's great. Well, I, uh, I fear our time is up probably for this week. So, so much more could be, <laughs> could be said. Um, but we'll, we'll save some for later and, um, you know, we appreciate all of you out there who have tuned in and listened. Thank you, Phil, for your faithful preaching of God's word and for what you shared from our pulpit this week. Um, I was extremely blessed, and I didn't even sit in on the sermon this yeah. week. Um, but I've, I told you this morning, I, I've listened to it three times in less than 24 hours now. I'll probably listen to it again later this week just for encouragement. And this is, or, or to, because you're a glutton for punishment. Well, it's not, it's, I was just going to say, it's not to, it's, not because it's Phil Henry's sermon. Sure. But it, it's just really um, helpful and challenging. And, um, you know, one of the things that you did say, and we'll end with this, is the preaching of God's Word on Sunday sets the pace mm -hmm. for our week. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are hearing this, and I know I normally put these out later in the week, but, you know, what Phil has preached for us and what will be preached next Sunday should set the pace for our worship of the Lord throughout the week. 
in our time spent with him in his word, in the devotions that we do with and worship we do with our families, with whatever church activities we have going on. So um, I hope that this conversation of the deeper cut helps you in that in that way, in that effort. Um, and Phil, thank you for the time because it, it certainly helps. helps Amen. Me. So. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. <laughs> Amen. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week on The Deeper Cut.